Well, if you have your Bible this morning, turn with us to the book of Titus, the book of Titus chapter number two. Titus chapter number two. And boy, thank you, choir. Are you glad that we need Christ? He's always there, amen? I'm glad that he's there when we need him in our hour of need. He's always right there. He's just a prayer away. I thank the Lord for that. Titus chapter two. We preached a couple of weeks ago, or a few weeks ago now, I guess, on um, looking for a few good men. And uh, we looked at the men mentioned here in Titus chapter number two. But this morning, I want to go and backtrack and read the middle verses there that are dealing with a godly lady and what it means to be a godly lady and what are the characteristics and attributes that women should live. I'll be honest with you, there's not too many subjects that I get intimidated preaching by in the Bible, but I don't like preaching to the ladies. For some reason, uh, the women can terrify me. And so uh, I, know, uh, I know who cooks good, and I know who takes care of us and keeps us men in line, and uh, I don't like doing it, but I do want to be faithful to the Word of God this morning as well. Um, Titus chapter 2, dealing with, again, these are the blueprints for the 21st century church. And ladies, that although it is a tough subject maybe for me to preach on, it is essential that we do so because, ladies, I want you to know that you are an essential part of the church and God's plan. And therefore, it is vital that as men are to live godly before the Lord, it is just as vital that you also are living right before the Lord and that you are being faithful to what God has called you to do. And so with that being said this morning, I want to preach on a godly lady from Titus chapter 2. If you would begin reading with me in verse number 3. The Bible says, The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the younger women to love their husbands and to love their children. To be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you in prayer. And God, we ask that for the next few moments this morning, Lord, may you speak to us through your word. Lord, if we do not have the ladies of North Etowah, Lord, the, the women here, Lord, if they are not on board, Lord, with serving you, God, we understand that we will not accomplish what you have called us to do. And yet, Lord, history tells us through the uh, WMU and through other missionaries and Sunday school teachers, Lord, that when, Lord, the ladies are living according to your will, Lord, they are a force that is almost unstoppable. God, I pray that, Lord, every uh, lady here today, Lord, that you might speak to their hearts and God, may you cause us, Lord, to live according to your word. Father, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I know that it's not always easy to preach to the ladies, but at the same time, it's kind of like, uh, uh, how, as a man, how am I going to preach to ladies? Because uh, most things, uh, you're just smarter than men are, aren't you? Ladies, that's your chance to say amen. There you go. I knew it was coming. <laughs> you know, the question was asked, why do, women, uh, why do men like smart women? And the answer, obviously, is because opposites attract. And so, 
there was a lady who told her husband that she had went out and she had found a genie of Aladdin's bottle, rubbed it, and the genie popped out and said he was going to give her one wish. And the husband said, that is fantastic. He said, what did you wish for? She said, I wish that you'd be 10 times smarter uh, than you already are. He said, well, did it happen? Did it come true? She said, well, the genie told me 10 times zero was still zero. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, you know, I, I want to be careful what we say this morning, but I do want to share with you from the Word of God what the Bible has to say. Here in Titus, the ladies are ch- challenged or charged with the duties that are uh, dealing with reverence. The Bible says that, uh, that the elder women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior. That is, they show reverence to, towards God in their behavior, reverence to their own self and I'll be honest with you, I don't have to tell you this morning, but we live in a uh, society where no one has reverence or respect for anyone or anything, even them own selves. And so the Bible's saying that as a godly ladies, we sh- you should be reverent uh, and show reverence, having that right spirit, having the right attitude. Then it says that they be reverent behavior and not slanderous, that is, that they are not one to run others down. And I know this seems like a, just a simple Uh, a simple thought, yet the Bible is clear to point out that, ladies, we should, uh, you should be careful not to be slanders, not to run other people down, not willing or quick to uh, talk bad about others. And we'll look at why here just momentarily, but it is important that we guard our tongue. And go through the book of Proverbs, the Bible is very open and adamant about the tongue and deals with it very frequently throughout Proverbs that we should guard our tongues and our tongue literally has great power. You know the old adage, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones but words may never hurt me. The truth is this morning that probably could not be a a falser statement or quote in, in all of humanity. For in reality words can hurt us deeper than sticks or stones ever could. And so the Bible warns here that we should be, ladies, you should be reverent, but also says that you should not be slanderous. And then the Bible says this, it says not given to much wine, or it carries the connotation of being sober-minded, that you do not uh, allow yourself to be consumed with things that would change your mindset or that would alter your way of thinking. One commentary that I read on this verse of Scripture here said that to be sober-minded, not given to wine, means to uh, don't be prone to side with the devil or oppose God or to falsely accuse God, but rather have the right mindset that you take things for what they are. I want to be careful this morning. I don't want to put you on the spot, but I read a book by Sister Kay over there that she had wrote, and I haven't even got a chance to talk with her about it, but I enjoyed the book. But one of the things I especially enjoyed about it, Sister Kay, was that if you look through her life, her testimony, and the things that she has been through in her life, she has kept her attitude and her heart right and focused on God instead of herself. And really, that's what this word sober-minded means. It means that we are in the right mindset, that we have our hearts trained upon the things that we should do. Then the Bible says, teachers of good things. Teachers of good things. That you are concerned, ladies, that, and this is dealing with the elder ladies specifically, or the ladies who are uh, of years of maturity, that they are careful that they teach the good things, that they are focused upon the things that are helpful and beneficial. Ladies, you may 
know it, and maybe you don't, but your children, your grandchildren, other ladies, younger ladies, they're watching your lives. And the things that you talk about, the things that you are consumed with, the things that you are invested in in your life, you are teaching them through your words and through your actions. And the Bible says you should be a teacher of good things. If our nation is in trouble this morning, it is because we have a generation that is coming up that does not know God, does not care about God. They do not care about righteousness or truth. And we can get mad and point our fingers at them all we want. But unless we are being faithful to teach them what is right and what is good, we ought to take the finger away from them and point it back at ourselves. And the Bible says that the elder ladies should be teachers of good things. Down in verse number five, it continues, it says, to be discreet, to be discreet, to be careful in how we speak with others. Chase, meaning pure. Purity is something that has long been forsaken in our nation and even in our churches. Yet the Bible says that, ladies, you should be pure. Pure before marriage and pure after marriage. Pure in your life and pure in your heart, pure in your flesh, that you would keep yourself dedicated and consecrated to the work and the ministry and the service of our Heavenly Father. I know that's not popular, but it's biblical. The Bible says that you should be chaste. Then the Bible says this, it says homemakers, or literally this word, if you trace it down and chase it back, it comes from the Greek word oikorgos, meaning guard. And it literally does not have the meaning of, a lot of times people say homemaker, oh, you preacher are saying ladies should be homemakers, that it's wrong for them to go out and work, and that's not what this verse is saying. What this word here, homemaker, is saying, it literally means a guard or a guarder of the home. Ladies, you should guard your home because Satan has seeking to destroy your marriage, your home, your relationships. He will do whatever he can to destroy and tear down what God has worked and you have worked faithfully to build up. We can go back to Genesis and look at the very beginning and find that Satan, from the very beginning, he set his eyes upon Eve, the lady, that he might tempt her into sin and cause her to fall, cause mankind and humanity to fall in sin. And Satan looked upon Eve and said, uh, here is my opportunity. And so we come to, forward to Titus, and now Paul is writing to Titus, and he's trying to guard, help the church to guard themselves. And he says, listen, uh, ladies, that you should be careful that you are guarders of the home, that you would guard your hearts and guard the home to not give place to the devil because he will seek to destroy you if you allow him to. Guarders of the home. Good and obedient to their own husbands. People say, Pastor, does that mean I'm supposed to be obedient to my husband? What does that mean? Does that mean I'm to be a slave to him? That is not what the Bible is saying. The Bible is saying you are to follow your husband as he follows the Lord. 
A lot of times men want to look at ladies and say, see, the Bible says you're supposed to obey me. But are you obeying God? And if you're not following God, don't you dare expect your wife to follow you in your sin. Following God. I want to come in for just a moment here and look at verse number four. Verse number four says, and I want to look at some responsibilities and duties of a godly lady. Verse number four says that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. Now, if you read this in some versions, the King James, it says that uh, they should teach the young women to be sober. Literally, this is coming from the Greek word, what the King James would say, teach to be sober. It comes from the Greek word, sophronitsosin, and it means to, it really has a three-prone uh, a three-prone teaching here that it says. It is not just to teach. It is not just to teach to be sober. And it is not just to admonish. But literally, it means to teach, to admonish, or to restore to a good state of mind. So the Bible saying that, ladies, you should, your responsibilities as ladies of the church, as ladies of North Etowah Baptist Church, as, as mothers, as grandmothers, as daughters and wives, the Bible says you have some responsibilities that have been given to you. And here in the Word of God, we see that they are to admonish the young women, which really, uh, when you go back from the original word, it would mean to teach or to to impart knowledge and wisdom, to provide instructions based upon personal experience and acquired information that has been tested and proven. And so that's why the Bible's talking to the older ladies, the the ladies who are experienced. The Bible's saying, listen, you have a duty and a responsibility to share with the younger ladies what it means to to be a faithful wife, a a good mother, and to uh, give them the tools that are necessary to lead their own homes. It is not the public school's responsibility to teach your daughters how to be women. It is not YouTube or the TV or the Internet's responsibility to train our daughters how to be, grow up to be godly wives and mothers. But as mothers and grandmothers and elder ladies, it is your responsibility, and the Bible says that you should teach them. And so it is your job to invest in yourself into their lives. Teaching does not happen by accident. It doesn't. We have many school teachers here, or former school teachers. And you know that you can get up and you can talk, but it, uh, to teach is more than just talking, ain't it, Brother Ron? It actually takes trying to get down to a level where they understand to try to uh, relay information in a way that they will comprehend. It means to invest of yourself into their life that you would teach them. And so we have a responsibility, ladies, that we say, listen, I see some my daughters, my granddaughters. I see our young girls in our youth department. You say, listen, I'm going to invest. I'm going to invest myself in their lives that I will teach them the good things that they may know how to be godly women. Not only does it say to teach, 
But the second aspect of this word is to admonish. To admonish. Teach is to impart knowledge, but admonishing really is twofold, and that is exhortation and warning. Exhortation means to encourage through uh, love and desire to see God glorified, to lift them up. And so to admonish means to exhort, to, uh, to make sure that we are encouraging others to live for God. It's when you see another lady who might not be doing things right to admonish me and say, listen, listen, I I want you to understand that I'm not trying to play the Holy Spirit in your life. I'm not trying to overstep my boundaries, but I want you to know that I've made mistakes like you have. I've been where you're at, and I want you to know that there is a better way according to the Word of God. And I'm not trying to condemn you, but I want you to know that God's way is best to exhort There's been plenty of times in my life where I've thought I was right, only to find out later on that I was wrong. Sometimes I've been wrong and people have told me and I wouldn't listen. Other times I've been wrong and no one said a thing. There's also been times where I've been wrong and someone's told me and I've humbled myself and listened and I've always been glad that I have. To exhort, to encourage. It is our responsibility to encourage others. But then there is a third aspect, that is to warn. That in our monitoring we exhort and then we also we warn that others would say, listen, you're headed down a bad road. Now, that that is not to take or to impersonate the Holy Spirit. It is not our job to convict, but we are to admonish, the Bible says. To say, listen, I want you to know there's consequences for going against God's plan. But there is a third aspect to this word here, sophronitsosin, where we get the word to admonish or to teach. And it literally, the third aspect is it, it has the mindset of restoration. And so our responsibility, ladies, are to teach God and how to live right, to admonish those who have, are going astray, who are not living right. But then the third responsibility is that we are quick or we are able and willing to restore. That when someone repents, someone turns from their sin, that, ladies, you are willing to restore them back to God. And that's not always easy. As a matter of fact, of all of the Christian life that we have to live, restoration sometimes is the most difficult thing we do. To restore those who have wronged us. Yet we should seek to restore those who have failed. Our goal and our desire as believers and followers of Christ should always be to display the love of God to others just as we have received it from Him. 
Yet we know from Scripture that there must be a turning away from sin. We should seek to restore, yet we should do so after there is a genuine repentance from their sin. We can turn to John chapter 8, and I won't this morning for sake of time. It seems like time's getting away from me this morning. But in John chapter 8, we find that they, they had come out to condemn this lady. They were going to stone her. Christ writes down in the sand, and he gets done, and they all, they all leave. And Christ says, where are their accusers? Where are your accusers? She said, Lord, they're, they're not here. There's none left. And Christ said, I'm not going to condemn you either. He said, but go and sin no more. Change what you're doing. Change your lifestyle. But when those who have wronged have repented and lived right, we should seek restoration. That should always be our goal. As a pastor, as a church, as a husband, as a wife, as a mother, as a father, when you have been done wrong, when you have been hurt, when you have been uh, reviled, we should seek to restore when God will allow us to. That's one of our responsibilities, but then I want to look at our duties this morning, and I'm going to try to be fast. Verse number four, that they should admonish the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. Our first duty, and we can go back through Titus, and really we can go from Genesis on through. Our first duty, and ladies, your first duty is simply this as a Christian. Your first duty is to love God. Love God. He, that is your number one duty in life is to live loving and pleasing Him. He must be first in your life. Matthew 22, verse number 37, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Our first responsibility as believers is to love God. You say, how do I do that? By obeying him. By obeying God. We can prove our love to him through obeying him. John 14, 21 says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be, my, will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus said, those who have my commandments and keep them, obey them, they're the ones that love me. You say, Pastor, how do I love God? You do it by following his word. By living according to the word of God. Not just so that other people might think you're doing what's right, but because you have a genuine desire to please him. And then secondly, through trusting him. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. The Bible says there's no fear in love. So we love God by obeying him, but also by not fearing, but trusting in him. We should prove our love to God by trusting in him. How are you doing in your trust with him? Do you trust God this morning? I'm going to say this and I'm going to move. What I found is interesting about us as humans. I have no problem trusting God with my eternal salvation. 
my eternal destiny. The biggest, most important thing of all, I have no problem trusting him. But let the little circumstance come into my life that don't mean a hill of beans compared to eternity. And all of a sudden I start questioning if he's going to take care of it. Am I the only one this morning? Do we really trust him? From the big to the little. Where's your trust at? So our first duty is to love God. But then I says, the Bible says, to love their husbands. Our first duty is to love God, but second of all, the Bible says to love our husbands. And in return, I could say also for husbands, our first duty is to love God, and our second duty is to love our wives. This order of responsibility for God first and then your spouse is demonstrated in Ephesians 5.25. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Here we see that God has pictured the love between the husband and the wife as that between Jesus and the church. When God wanted to picture his love for us, he did that. He showed it through the picture of a husband and a wife. So our first responsibility is to love God. Our second responsibility is to love our spouse or with ladies specifically to love your husbands. Jesus loved God first and foremost, but after that he loved the church. Matter of fact, the Bible says that he loved the church and he gave himself for the church. So our second responsibility is to your spouse. It's not to careers. It's not to hobbies. Not even to children or grandchildren. It's to your spouse. That is our duties as spiritual ladies. That's what God has set forth. But also for men. Your first duty is to love God. But then your wife. To put her above yourself. By being faithful. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 4. The Bible says, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. You can love your husband by being faithful to them in morality, but also by guarding your home, which we mentioned earlier. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse number 8 deals with it, but... um, But if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever or an infidel. The Bible said we are to provide for our own. And so you can show your love by providing, guarding your home. And then thirdly, the Bible says here that they should love their husbands and to love their children. To love your children. This seems like the most simplest and basic of human uh, characteristic uh, characteristics and instincts you would think that mothers would love their children yet it's not always as simple as it seems i don't mean saying you love them i mean showing that you love them and I want to clarify and say that saying loving your children does not mean giving them every whim, everything they ask for. 
Loving your children does not mean that you never say no to them. Sometimes true love means you have to say no to the child who is, whether grown or infant, that is living a life that is contrary to God's word, that is doing self-harm. You don't say, well, I'm going to keep feeding their habits, their bad habits, because I love them. No, sometimes true love says, I want them to know that there is a consequence, a price for their bad decisions, and I want the best for them to love their children. Psalms 127, 3 through 4 says, Behold, children are heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children, the children of one's youth. We should love our children. We, we are to direct them because they're a heritage from the Lord, first by teaching them the Bible. Ephesians 6, 4, And you fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. We are to train, not just fathers, but mothers. We are to Train our children and teach them the Word of God. I know this sounds elementary, and you're thinking, Preacher, why are you telling us this on a Sunday morning? I'm saying this because it is important that we as parents, as fathers, and as mothers, that we understand that it is our duty and our responsibility with our children to teach them the Word of God. You can, I'm glad you're here this morning. I'm glad that if you have children, if they're in our youth department or here this morning, I'm glad they're here in our services. But just bringing your children to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and even Wednesday if you can, that does not shirk your responsibility. That does not give you a license to neglect your duties to teach the Word of God to your children. We must teach them the Bible. In Proverbs 22, verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We must, as I said earlier, teach, train. We must pour ourselves into them. Are you giving your children the time necessary? To train them. Don't neglect your children. I know I've got two girls that are young, and I know I'm being warned all the time by others. They grow up fast. We only have one shot. Let's give them what they stand in need of. Let's pour ourselves into them. Say, why is all this about love? Because John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We love because God first loved us. We have responsibilities, but whether you're here this morning and say, listen, I've never had that love of a mother reciprocated to me. Maybe you're uh, sitting here and you're a, a lady saying, listen, I, I've, what do I do? I've made mistakes. I want you to know that regardless... We have a heavenly Father who loves us, who stands willing and ready to forgive. It does not matter your background, your history, what mistakes you've made. Jesus Christ stands ready to restore and to forgive. He loved the world so much that he gave his son, Jesus, to die in your place. And all that he asked is that we would let go and say, God, I give you my life. Lord, I put my faith in Jesus Christ.
and what he did on Calvary. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. I'm so grateful today that we have um, some wonderful ladies here in our church. Some of the most godly women I know are sitting right here this morning. I really believe that. But we must guard our heart. You must guard your heart. Because Satan would love to distract you, to get you focused on things that really aren't important. And yet Christ says, I love you. You say, Pastor, I've never been married, don't have any children. That's why I think that he said, to the elder ladies because it's not just those who are mothers or daughters but if you're here and you're saved by grace God has a purpose in your life if you're here this morning you say pastor I'll, I know this wasn't a typical Sunday morning service but you say pastor I, I, I know that if I died right now uh, that I would go to hell or you may say it like this, say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'd even go to, I, I want to go to heaven, but I don't know. If that's you, would you slip your hand up? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you down, but I want to pray for you. Would you slip your hand up and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to go to heaven, but I'm not sure if I died right now where I would go. Would you slip your hand up? Is there one? This morning, maybe you're here, ladies. And, and maybe you have become distracted from what matters. If you want to pray right where you're at, you go ahead and pray. If you want to come to the altar, the altars are open. Maybe you have a mother, a daughter, a friend who you can look at their lives and know that they need to return to Christ. This morning the altars are open if you want to pray for them as Brother Ron comes to sing. If God is speaking to your heart this morning, the altars are open.